Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Good, good. It, I'm just glad the sun is shining. I hope you're excited about it too. Um, my name is Brad again. If you're new here, we're so glad that you've joined us today. We are in a series, actually we're in the final installment today of our series called Welcome, where we are discovering or rediscovering the we and welcome. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea that so many of us have been in places where we felt unwelcome. You've walked into a place and you, you notice that you don't know anyone, but everybody knows each other and they're talking to each other and you feel kind of on the out and you remember that feeling. And so we've been saying that the demise of many movements has been the fact that over time, whether it's an organization or a community or even a church, is that they've become unwelcoming. And the part of unwelcoming that's been so hurtful to so many of us is that we replace the we in the beginning with me, that it's been really about us, and we forget that there are other people who need this as well. And so we've been trying to discover that. I'm not going to rehash the first three weeks because we're kind of going to do that today in some of our, our content. Um, but if, I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages on our podcast, on your way to work or whatever you're doing. Uh, I think they were helpful. They were helpful to me. I learned things about God and, uh, that I'd never knew before. And so uh, I hope they were helpful to you. And if you need to listen to them, go back. So today's title is, uh, 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 today's talk is entitled, Welcome to Go. We did Welcome to the Gift, Welcome to God, Welcome to Getting Over Yourself, and Welcome to Go. That's today. So would you pray for me as we begin? Lord, we do give thanks for this time that we can gather together where we can collectively come in your story and share and what you would want us to learn, to know, and to grow in. So I pray that this time would be fruitful, that our minds and our hearts would be receptive to your message. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start with a game today. Is that okay? I want to start with a game today, and uh, it's called fill in the blank. I'm going to give you a couple words, and I promise you it's going to go quickly, so you need to pay attention. Are you ready? Set. Hey, yes, Terry, you got it. She's on the ball today. That's exactly right. Go, right? Hey, I don't know about you, but when I hear this word go, it does something inside of me. Does it does do something inside of you? Yes, no, maybe. Okay, some of you are shaking your heads. It reminded me this week of when I was a junior in high school, and um, I was on the track team. I only ran track to really just enhance my football experience. And I just remember we got this new college kid. Um, he, was a, he had ran track in college, and he'd just come out. He was sort of cocky, you know, thought he knew it all like college kids do. And, um, and so he said, we're going to see who's on the team for the 4 by one There's about 15 of us that lined up. And he said, um, we're top four, you're in the 4 by one And I wanted to run the 4 by one because I love that race. It's just a fun race. And, and so long story short, uh, I was in the top four. I think I finished second or third, and, and I was feeling good about it. And then he walks over to me, and he says, hey, I know that you are in the top four, but you're not going to run the 4 by one I need you to run the 800 and the 4 by 8 Now, if you know anything about races, that is like pure punishment. 
the 800 is, I don't know if you know this, but it's a dead sprint, not for one lap, but two whole laps. And I know it's changed today, like everybody just sprint, they can sprint three miles. But back then, we didn't do that. Like, you would sprint the 400, and you would kind of semi-jog the second lap if you were in the 800. But this kind of, over time, turned into a sprint. And so when he said that, I lost all motivation. And I was not very happy about it. In fact, this is, this is his experience as coaching. He took a towel, and he threw it at me, and he said, this is the whining towel. And he threw it at me, he said, go cry your tears somewhere else. And, um, and that really just set the tone for the season. It really did. It just set the tone for the season. And so it, it set the tone so much so that um, I remember it was the regional qualifier. Uh, I decided that who cares? It's the regional qualifier. I don't even care. I'm going to go out with my friends and have a good time. Now, we did not have this crazy party. It was just a couple of guys getting together, watching uh, movies, playing games, eating pizza, and some other contributing factors. Um, but we just had a good time. And next thing I know, it is like 4 in the morning, and I'm supposed to be up at 5 a.m. to get to this track meet by 7.30. You ever, you ever gotten an hour of sleep? Some of you haven't slept in three days. You're like, I, I know that feeling. And I remember the alarm went off, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I just felt tired. I felt exhausted. And I really kind of felt sick. You know, when you don't get a lot of sleep, you start to feel sick. And so I made it to the track meet. I did me a little warm-up, and then I went into the tent of sleep. We had this nice little tent, and it was raining, and then it would be sunny, raining, sunny. It was, caused a lot of humidity, so that just made it worse. I just told my friends, listen, I don't really care about this race. I'm going to be in the tent sleeping. When it's my turn, you come and get me, and I'll just run up there. Well, you know, they give like one or two or three calls. They give you a chance. Well, my friends came and got me. I was sound asleep in the tent. They came and got me, but like the race was literally getting ready. They were lined up, and so I'm, you know, taking off my warm-up pants and my warm-up top, and I run up to the line, and I remember the feeling of just being absolutely wiped out. I was sick. I was tired. I was exhausted. And it was like, here we go, another 800. Thank God it's the last one of the year. And I remember, and some of you run races, whether you're in cross country or you're in track, you know when you step up to the line, legs are shaking, you're a little nervous. And, of course, again, I was tired, so that made it worse. And the starter says, by the way, I had to look up today, what do you call the guy with the gun at the beginning of the race? If you don't know, it's called a starter. Um, <laughs> pretty profound. Anyway, the starter says, ready set and of course they don't say gun we had guns back go they had guns back then and but the gun was the signal of go and i remember the moment that that gun went off there was just like this excitement about what was going to happen next i went from dead to suddenly having to be alive and i found myself running around that track and the good news is this i came dead last in that race yeah should have ran the four by one. Dead last in the race, but I ran my best personal record and personal time. Shows you how bad of a runner I was, but um, <clears throat> at least in the 800. It was a great day. But, but my, my guess is your experience with the word go is the same. Right, with inside of you, there's a sense that something new is beginning, something is starting, there's an anticipation, there's an excitement. Like when somebody says, hey, let's go to the mall. My guess is you put on your best attire and you put on your best clothes and you do your hair and ladies, you'll do your makeup and there's excitement when we go to the mall. There's new fashion, lots of people. Some of you shaking your head, no, I don't like the mall. I'm, okay, I understand that. But there are people who love it. It's fun. 
Like when my wife says, let's go on a date. I love a romantic date. And here's why. For just an hour, I can be pulled away. We can be pulled away from our kids. And it's like we can have dinner together. We can have a conversation. And when she says, let's go on a date, this is life-giving to me. It's exciting. Like there's something that kind of rejuvenates the soul when you get time to talk and, 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 and converse and talk about how, how, you, how we're doing in life. And, and I just love that. So, so maybe your experience is like when somebody says, hey, let's go on vacation or let's go to the lake or let's go to the party. You hear this word and you get excited. But then you've had your mom or maybe your spouse or maybe somebody say this to you over the course of history. They say, hey, let's go to church. Yeah. You ever hear people say, we go to church. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing, but when I hear this statement, I wonder, is there the same anticipation in this statement, we go to church, or Let's go to church. Is there the same anticipation as when we go to the mall, when we go to the lake, when we go on vacation? Come on, you've, you've had this experience. You've told somebody that you go to church, and, 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 and all of a sudden they start to avoid you, or they, they walk away from you because they don't want them to invite you. The most unwelcoming thing you can do is invite somebody to go to church. That's kind of been... Their experience. And I think for so many of us, we've used this language over time. We go to church, I go to church, let's go to church, that we've sort of made that an unwelcoming phrase. And I wonder if we could just work with the semantics. I think we have the right language. But I wonder if we could just work with the semantics for just a few minutes. And what if we ask this question? Instead of saying we go to church, what if we said, when do we the church go? Do you, do you see the flip on it? Instead of saying we go to the church, we ask the question, when do we the church go? Or we just say we the church go. See, the first statement says, hey, welcome to a building. Welcome to an institution. Welcome to a religion. You're going to be bored out of your mind and you're never going to want to come back again. But when you say we the church go, uh oh, there's a curiosity. There's an excitement. It's like there's something around the corner. I don't know what's going to happen this week, but it's moving to me, and it should be moving to you. And I know this to be true, that every day you are faced with people, and you want to ask them to go to church. There are people that you experience every day who need help, who need hope, and you're so afraid. You have this fear and this panic and anxiety when you think about how you're going to invite them to go to church. And my question is this, what if, what if the movement that happened 2,000 years ago never began with, we go to church, or let's go to church? In fact, it's fun because John tells us in his own story how the, the, the beginning began. It's great how this movement got started. And if you're not familiar with John or you don't know anything about the Bible, hey, that's that's quite all right. There are four writers that tell us about Jesus' life. John is one of those. And what I love about John is he's an eyewitness to everything that happened. He didn't borrow. He didn't steal. He didn't take somebody's manuscript and copy it. This is, Jesus' life is witnessed by John's own eyes. 
And so he's privy to all conversations that other people aren't, and he sees things that other people don't. And what's fun is he picks up where we left off last week. You remember when we were talking about JB? Not Justin Bieber, but John the Baptist. Do you remember this? We're talking about JB. And John introduces us to JB, and he says, Hey, listen, there was this time when John was baptizing and Jesus was baptizing. And John's disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Hey, listen, do you notice that everyone is going to Jesus? Like, aren't you the least bit insecure about what Jesus is doing? Aren't you going to stop him? We need him to fail. And John, John says one of the most profound things I've ever heard in my life. Instead of being fearful and afraid of what Jesus is doing, he says, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. You remember this from last week. And what's so neat is John picks up that story today, and we find J.B., John the Baptist, passing off his disciples to Jesus. He begins to live this out. He's passing them on today. In fact, Jesus approaches, Jesus approaches John the Baptist and his disciples, and this is what John says. He says, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I love that question, like, what else would Jesus expect? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? We want to know where you're staying. He said, come with me, and you'll see, and we'll hang out for a little while. And so they went, and they saw where he was staying. And then they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon, and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, was one of the two who heard what John had said when John passed him off. He is one who followed Jesus. Now, what we're about to discuss is going to set us up for what Andrew does next. And so I just want to say this, that I don't care if you're 5, 55, or 155, or if you work or you don't work, or you have kids or you don't have kids, or you're married or you're not married, if you're single or you're a student or not a student, doesn't really matter. All of us have some responsibility when we get up in the morning. We have responsibility throughout the day. I mean, just think about your morning. You get up, and, and a lot of us— um, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but people don't actually like the way you smell when you roll out of bed. Um, and so if you're responsible, the responsibility is to take a shower. You want to smell better than what you did when you rolled out of bed. And so we take a shower. Some of us um, need to learn this, but you also have a responsibility to brush your teeth. If you don't like brushing your teeth or flossing, for Pete's sakes, grab a stick of gum, maybe even a pack of gum. I don't know, whatever will help you in the moment. Um, but we have a responsibility to brush our teeth. We have responsibility to make breakfast so we'll have energy and fuel and calories to get us through the day. Or maybe just get us through the morning. I don't know how often you eat, if you eat six, seven meals a day, maybe just a couple hours. But you have responsibility. And this is something that you will do all the time. You would never neglect your responsibilities because it's essential, it's essential to who you are. You would never give up responsibility because without them you couldn't live life. And what Andrew gets from the very beginning when he begins to follow Jesus is this. There is responsibility in follow me. There's responsibility in follow me. There's responsibility in follow me. And what's so great is Andrew recognizes 
The responsibility is not, hey, we go to church, or hey, come to the synagogue with me, or let's go to this building where we worship. No, 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 no. That's not where Andrew starts. In fact, what's so fun about this story is John tells us what happens next when Andrew realizes there is responsibility in following me. He says, the first thing Andrew did, not the second, he didn't go to Starbucks because they had double, you know, rewards day for the stars. I love when those stars drop into your cup, by the way. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, Anyway, if you drink Dunkin' Donuts, I feel bad for you. But anyway, uh, uh, he didn't stop at Starbucks. He didn't go and get some, some dates or, or some pita bread or anything else like that. No, no, no. The first thing Andrew does before he goes to the tea shop, you ready for this? It says he found his brother. He went and he found his brother, and he says to him, I love this, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. Can you hear it? Can you see it? The first thing Andrew does is he finds his brother. He found him. And it's like Jesus lines Andrew up, and Andrew understands the responsibility. And it's like Jesus lines him up, and he says, go, go. Go. And there's this anticipation. When you read the story in the Bible, by the way, you should just go read it for yourself. There is an excitement in Andrew's life about what is happening in this moment. There's like exclamation points written throughout this entire story. So the first thing he does is he finds them. If, if you've been in sales, you understand this. I remember when I was a recruiter and, you know, you would meet with your boss in the morning and they'd say, you need three appointments today, which means you need to talk to 150 people, which means that you need to find about 50 people face to face and make 100 phone calls today. This is your goals. Now go. And when I would walk out the door, there was like this, okay, everything that I'm doing today is about looking for somebody. It's about finding somebody who's going to buy into what I can sell them and what I think they need at the time. And so it didn't matter if I was going to the gas station. It didn't matter if I was going to the store. It doesn't matter where I was. I was always on my game looking for somebody who needed what I had to offer. People who are in sales get this. You know, you know, you know the stress. You know the passion and you know the heart that it takes and the work that it takes just to get one sale. And Andrew senses this responsibility. And the first thing he does is find it. But then, I love it, he does this. And this is where the story picks up. It says, after he found him and he told him about the Messiah, he brought him to Jesus. He found him, and then he brought him. And I know it's not in the story. I just think it's implicit in the story. There isn't a hesitation about this. There isn't a hesitation for Andrew about bringing his brother to Jesus. And I think, I think the reason why there is no hesitation is because Andrew's not taking, there's not a pause because he's taking him to a place. You see, for so many of us, we think about when we see somebody whose life needs to be changed, and, and we're starting to talk to them about what it could look like for them, there is a pause for us. Well, we're hesitant about sharing. And the reason why there's a pause is because you're a little insecure and you're a little uncertain about how you're going to invite them to a place. There's pause in you because of the place when it's really about the person. See, in your mind you're saying, 
you know, and, and we justify it, right? When we meet people, we say, you need to come to our church. It's cool. We have an awesome uh, worship pastor whose head shines when he sings, and uh, we've got great coffee, and we've got a lot of kids, and you justify it. You justify it, right? And you spend all this time talking about what a great place this is, and inside you're wondering, are they going to like it? Are they going to love it? I'm a little insecure, and what if they say no? And notice that it's not about the place. But Andrew says it's all about the person of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this gives me freedom. This should give you freedom. See, we spend so much time trying to be the, the heroes of the story. By the way, I don't know if you know this, they don't need you. They, they don't need you. Like, that's not who they need. You're there to help them but you're not the one that they need. And so often we, we think it's all about us. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give him this, and I'm going to help him here, and I'm going to help him there. And I'm sorry, Andrew doesn't go to his brother because he knows that he can't help his brother. It's his brother Peter, for Pete's sake. He knows that he can't help him, and he just brings him to Jesus. And I wonder, what is, what is the hesitancy about bringing people to Jesus. We would rather bring them to a cool church than we would to Jesus, right? We, we would love to take them to a show. We would love to take them with amazing band and lots of lights, and we, nobody would mind that. But, but why are we so afraid of offering them what they actually need? Did you think about this? I mean, just think about the last three weeks as we've discovered this series of welcome. The first week, we're introduced to a God who gives us the gift of life. He doesn't tell you how to use it. He doesn't tell you how to live it. We often think it's all about some rules. No, we are introduced to a God who says, I give you this life. I want it to be joyful. Here you go. It's all yours. Live it however you'd like. I'm not going to control you. And then in the second week, I mean, what about Jesus is so offensive? What is so off-putting about who Jesus is? The second week, there's a crowd approaching him, and he says, look at all these people. Look at this massive crowd, and we know that there are 15,000, 20,000 people approaching him. He says, look at all these people. And Philip says, yep, these will eat and those won't. These will eat and those won't. These will eat and those won't. And Jesus says, I don't know about if you know this, but my mission, my mission is to lose none of those the Father has given me. The ones you push away, the ones you don't think belong here, the ones you don't think are included in God's kingdom. Those are the ones that I have come to save. And we talked about this. There are some people in that crowd that I don't know that we're ready for. Straight people, gay people, white people, black people, Hispanic. We don't care if you're emo, you're rich, you're poor. We don't care. God doesn't care. He says everyone is welcome. What about that is not invited? Why would we not want to share that with somebody? That Jesus is for everyone. And here's what I know. The moment you take someone not to church not to the synagogue. The moment you take someone to Jesus, they will discover the life they were designed for. See, we often say around here that sin is doing something other than what you were designed for. And we think that you were created for something, we were created for a purpose, and God says, and Jesus says, and Andrew brings Peter and says, hey, listen, God has something for you. He's created you for that. And guess what? It's time for you to live into this, what you were created and designed for. And what's so fun is after Andrew 
finds his brother, and after he brings him to Jesus, John tells us what happens next, which is the rest of the story, and I love it. He says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which also means rock. And I love that he looks at Peter and he says, you were once called. You were once called a loser, a liar, a slut, somebody who's ugly, somebody who's poor, somebody who, who, who's never going to make it in life. And Jesus looks at him and says, not anymore. No longer will you be the ordinary fisherman that hangs out in his boat and underneath the sea and, and nobody seems to notice at all. He says, no longer will you be that person. He says, I'm going to call you Peter from this point on. You will be a game changer. You will be a life-giving person to the world. And he says later on, on you, Peter, my church will be built. My church will be built upon your life. You will be. Andrew found him. Andrew bought him. So he would become. And I love what happens in the story of Peter. It's not too long after Jesus' resurrection. A few weeks later, Peter stands up, and he stands up in front of this crowd, and he says to them, hey, listen, you crucified Jesus, but that's okay because he came back from the dead. And guess what? Jesus is still inviting you. He's still inviting you to be part of this life. Notice he doesn't say, hey, come to the synagogue. Hey, we need to go to church. No, no, no. The first thing Peter does is he stands up and he says, there was this Jesus that I need you to know. And it tells us in his story that 3,000 people, 3,000 people. When's the last time you saw 3,000 people come to Jesus? Not in 10 years. I know a lot of pastors who'd love to have a church of 3,000 that they built over 10 years. Peter does it in 10 minutes. Oh, by the way, you killed Jesus. It's, you know, it's really your fault, but he's still inviting you. Come on up here. He's going to love you. Just repent. We're going to baptize you. Change your mind about what the world should look like, and you're in. And 3,000 people in one day give their life to Jesus. Not to the church. Not to the local synagogue. They brought him to Jesus. And I wonder... Where would Christianity be today? Would we, where would followers of Jesus be if Andrew, if Andrew would have never found the responsibility and follow me? What if Andrew never would have found his brother? What if Andrew would have never brought his brother to Jesus? And what if Peter never became and never lived the life that God created him for? This is the beauty of how everything got started. It wasn't we go to church. It wasn't welcome to come to my church. It was simply we go and be the church. We find, we bring, so people can be. And I love to say this. I can't believe I'm saying this as your pastor. 
We're not welcome to go to church. <laughs> We're not welcome to go to church. We're just welcome to go. We are not welcome to church. We're just welcome to go. Life begins when you go. When you find people, when you bring people to Jesus so others can become. Life begins when you go. And what's so cool is this is not just some made-up idea. This is how the entire movement of Jesus Christ continues, even today. And if you don't believe me, some of you know Tom McHugh. You can just ask Tom McHugh. I love Tom. Tom and I were eating tacos today. Thanks, Tom, by the way. They were really good. That burrito was fantastic. Um, Tom bought a burrito for me this week. But he was telling me a story, and he says, I remember one night I was sitting in a bar with a bunch of friends, and we were just having a good time, and we were drinking. And in walks this guy named Denny, or Dennis, who, who has a great sense of humor. It's Kathy's husband, if you know Kathy. And Dennis walks in, and he sits down with Tom. Doesn't even know Tom, never met him before, and doesn't say, hey, Tom, I need you to come to my church on Sunday. It's called Jolie at First. So the first thing that Dennis did was he sat down with all these guys having a drink, and he says, hey, I know somebody named Jesus that could change your life. And Tom tells me that all of his friends got up and walked away. <laughs> and Dennis said, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you about Jesus, and I'd love to ch just talk with you. And Tom said, I'll stay. I'll stay. I'll listen for a few minutes. Dennis tells Tom about Jesus. Tom realizes that he needs change in his life and that he was created for something amazing and good and for a purpose. And, and so he decides that he's going to give his life to God. He's going to give his life to Jesus that Dennis has presented. And, and he does. And you know what happens? Dennis didn't say, okay, now I need you to come to church. No, he just walked out of the bar. And years later, Tom McHugh comes to Joliet first. And guess who's standing at the door to greet him? Her Uncle Dennis. That's right. Uncle Dennis is standing at the door waiting for Tom. Do you see it? It just takes you taking people to Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about our church. It's just simply about you telling people about a hope that they need, that they desperately need, that there is a love that they can experience and that they can move beyond anxiety and fear and worry and live into something even more than they ever imagined, that they could have a joy in their life that surpasses all understanding. Because you introduced somebody to Jesus. Don't be afraid. Just look at his life. It is filled with amazing stories of receiving people that everybody else has shunned. And you're saying, Pastor, I'm not, I'm, that's just not me. Evangelism, not my thing. I got you. That's not one of my gifts either. That's really not one of my gifts. It's intimidating for me to just go tell people about Jesus. So here's where I want you to start. This is, this is where I start. I try to start every day. I don't make it 
every day, but I try every day when I sit down for my prayer time. I want you to pray for the not yet. And here's what my prayer looks like. I, I borrowed some of this from somebody, and I've revamped it to, to, to make it fit what I want it to say. And So here's what I pray every day. When I sit down and I think about what God wants for us, I, I pray this prayer. Lord, bring somebody across my path who needs to know you. Whether I go to the store, whether I'm out just driving around, whether I'm at the gym, wherever I may be today, would you bring somebody across my, across my path who needs to know you? Give me the eyes to see them. Give me the eyes to see them. Uh, we're just, again, like I said last week, we think 95% of the time about us, about me. And we need eyes to see. Lord, bring somebody across my path who needs to know you. Give me the eyes to see them. And maybe this next line is what they really need. Give me the ears to listen to them. Give me the ears to listen to them. Which my wife can attest to I have failed to do this week. Give me the ears to listen to them. And this is where the hope comes. Give me the arms to embrace them. Because the people that are going to come across your path may not be as handsome as you, or as pretty as you, or smell as good as you, or have as much money as you, or have as little as money as you, whatever it may be, they might have more money than you. There may be an intimidating factor when you pray this prayer, and you need God to open your arms wide. Because last time I checked, when Jesus Christ raises his arms across the cross, it is so that all will come within his saving embrace and his love. Everyone. So my challenge to you this week is to pray this prayer. Just pray it. And you're going to have conversations that will be uncomfortable. You're going to have some weird moments. But if somebody begins to say something to you that's out of the ordinary, when you're in the checkout line and you say, hey, how you doing? And they say, instead of saying, I'm great, thanks, and they keep checking, they say, you know, I've had a really bad week. Ah, there we go. Tell me about your week. What's going on in your week? Forget all those people behind us. we got time to talk. They'll get their food later. They'll just go to another checkout line. What's going on in your life? Just start with the conversation. Just start asking questions. And the more you pray this, the more people you'll find, the more people you bring to Jesus, and the more lives that will be changed. This is our hope.